Welcome. You're listening to the Everlasting Business Podcast. I am your co-host, Greg Schoenberg, a leadership coach and financial executive with years of experience under my belt. And I'm Ari Mizell, a productivity coach passionate about optimizing work and life. Together, we're here to delve deep into the timeless principles that fortify businesses for the long haul. Each week, we take you on a thought-provoking journey. We explore the secrets behind the centuries-long success of iconic brands to the innovative strategies driving the business of the future. From understanding the power of stress inoculation and incentives to unmasking the challenges of the present day business world, we're here to provide valuable insights and practical tips. So whether you're an entrepreneur just starting out or an established executive, our conversations aim to inspire, educate, and lay the foundations for a prosperous future in business. So buckle up and join us on this exciting journey. And let's together uncover the lessons that make businesses truly everlasting. So Ari, for our inaugural episode, I think you found a really, really great company to kick us off with. Why don't you light this fire? Thank you, Greg. And it's true. Yes, this is one of the oldest companies operating in the world. And I just want to say really quick that a long time ago, I got really interested in some of the world's oldest businesses, the businesses that have been operating continuously for centuries, and in some cases, more than a millennia. And this is a really good example of that. And it's one of the many topics that I think we'll be covering on Everlasting Business here. But there's so much that can be learned from the world's oldest businesses. And besides the lessons that we can actually take from them that modern businesses can use, they're just interesting stories as well. So the one today is Sire Trudon. And I'm, even though I speak French, I'm not going to attempt to say it with the correct accent because for some reason the letter combination doesn't seem to agree with my tongue. And it doesn't come out very clearly. Can you at least do it with like a sort of a French attitude. Sia Trudon. Can you well, try I, that? No, that was, the, that was perfect. I'm, I'm, I can't top that. Sia Trudon. There we go. We are going to talk <laughs> about Sia Trudon today on our podcast. To be clear, I'm married to a French woman and Greg worked for French Bank for quite a long time. So I think we can at least uh, appropriate the accent a little bit. How'd you say very good point? <laughs> Un bon point. <laughs> Okay, so Sire Trudon. Uh, some of you may be familiar with it. Uh, many of you probably are not. It is a, a luxury brand that still exists today, and what they do is they make candles. Uh, technically, they make wax products, but it's a candle maker. Beeswax, right? Beeswax, yes, absolutely, but not just any beeswax. The finest beeswax. So Sire Trudon started in 1643 in Paris. And it has been operating continuously since then. So first of all, I just want to stop for a second and have everybody take a moment just to, to think about that, okay? So this company has been operating continuously for over 300 years, right? Now, most people have had some either primary, secondary, or tertiary experience with a company in the last few years that has dealt with the pandemic and the issues that that brings, right? Maybe some of you who have had companies that have been around for 30, 40 years dealt with inflation, in the late 70s, the 80s, you dealt with uh, stock market crashes, things like that. That's in the last 30 or 40 years, or in the last couple of years, if we're talking about the pandemic. What do you think this company has had to deal with 
in over three centuries. Greg, a couple ideas what they might have had to deal with in the well, political it, environment. In, 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 in addition to pandemics and, and the like, they had uh, uh, a couple of revolutions, a couple of uh, overthrows of uh, various monarchies, a very small, um, very egotistical uh, general by the name of Napoleon and then Napoleon's kids. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the fact that they have managed to remain an ongoing concern for that period of time, I think, speaks to uh, the fact that, A, they probably make it, and I'm sure they do, uh, a damn good product. Um, but I also think it has to do with who one of their signature clients have been since the beginning. And I think this client is probably... <clears throat> They, they could have used any candle maker in all of France, but they chose them. Uh, and um, it's nice to know that this client um, has been around for, I don't know, a couple of thousand years and probably not going anywhere soon. So tell me to what extent you think that particular client has had something to do with their staying power. So it's a, it's a very good point, right? And so the client you're referring to, of course, is the royal court. I assume, right? I was actually thinking the church, but you know. oh, oh, well, no. So the royal court. So they were the first uh, candle maker to be recognized as like the official royal candle maker. Uh, and so, the, not to stray too far here, but there's actually it's not far at all. There's another really great example of a company that I've looked at and I've talked to you about as well is the Marinelli Bell Foundry in Italy. And the long and the short of that is that that company started in 1001, the year 1001. They make church bells. And currently, they still make church bells, and I think they make about 50 a year. 90% of their business goes to the Vatican. Right? Now, most business practices would tell us that that's a pretty bad idea, all your eggs in one basket. But as you pointed out, this client is not going anywhere. Right? So maybe that's a good thing. Of course, that client might change their mind someday, and then your business has a big problem. But if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket and focus on one client, it might as well be a client that is not going to get affected by things, right? Absolutely. I think that's the one sort of hedge there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so they were the first royal candle maker. And uh, they provided them for the church. And candles are interesting in general. You know, now we have every Yankee candle. Is, I, I think they're a multi, multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. And every time you walk by one in the mall, like, you know what you're smelling when you walk by Yankee candles. The Sir Trudon candles are and have always been of a, such a high quality. And one of the things, actually, that was really interesting is that they were the company that made white beeswax more mainstream and popular because beeswax is not naturally white and it's not just an aesthetic thing although it partly was an aesthetic thing because at the time uh there was a an issue of it seeming more pure and seeming more like high-end and whatnot but it actually is a pure wax that burns longer so uh they they made some really interesting innovations with that as well but candles sort of that's the word I'm looking for. I think you're going to articulate this better than me. It sort of cuts through different socioeconomic statuses, right? Candles are appealing to us kind of like everybody. Sure. Churches, coronations, uh, lighting your pub at night when there wasn't any light, right? It's a utility too. So it's kind of like this interesting thing that like everybody wanted and everybody could use and needed, but they were doing it better. 
So their commitment to quality is one of the things that I think has really taken them through all of the years uh, so strongly. But another thing that they did very much from the very beginning too was they really created a brand identity. And there, every candle, as you were trying to tell me about before, every candle has like a story to it. So you had an example, one that you liked, I think, particularly. Yes, I loved, I loved one. Um, it was the um, <clears throat> Ernesto candle. And uh, when you think of Ernesto, what comes to your mind, Ari? I don't know, actually. Yeah, well, nothing's popping up for me. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's popping up for you. <laughs> oh, hold on, while I, while I, while I buy, while I buy a tiny bit of time here. Um, mm-hmm. the Ernest. I got to read this to you all. That's fine. This is this is this is great. And while Greg's on that, I'll just say so. They, so they they created a story for each candle that was significant to some person, place. Or even event. They wanted, like, they literally made candles that would evoke thoughts of an event that had happened, like the coronation. Like the coronation, or, as in the case of Ernesto, something else. So, the classic-sized Ernesto uh, retails for $125, so not a cheap candle. Right? It's not very large either, right? It's, uh, you know, it's a decent-sized candle, <laughs> I think. Um, so... Um, <clears throat> Under the uh, the title Ernesto, it says leather and tobacco. So you already know you are primed for sort of a manly candle, right? Mm-hmm. Leather and tobacco. And under the description and fragrance, it says the following: in a hotel in uh, in a hotel of Havana, under the fixed sun of the revolution, the fierce and partisan overtones of leather and tobacco metal with the panelings waxen silence in the cool dimness. Fawn grimaces shimmer along with the smoke of cigars and the barrels of guns. Mm. That is a $125 can. That's right. There you go. (laughs) Well, okay. So I I think that brings up an interesting other point too, right? Is that it's not just a candle. It's an experience in a way, right? And maybe that that sounds like I'm being facetious, but I'm really not. Like that's that's what they're selling. The schmaltz is is intended. (laughs) Right. Yes. Right. So for $125, you're not buying a candle that's going to light up your room, right? Right. You're buying an evocation, as if it were, of of a feeling and and an experience. A uh, transporting. There you go. Right. By the way, just one other fun fact about these candles. Um, They don't smell like cheap... um, you know, uh, perfume or anything like that, like you would, you know, find maybe in, you know, uh, a, a tourist shop anywhere. Apparently, the um, the smells that emanate from these candles when they're lit um, are distinctive, but somewhat subtle. Yeah. And they take that very, very seriously to create that effect. But the other thing is... You don't even need to light these candles. Apparently, if you just leave them around your room, over time, they get into the air and it creates that sort of feeling of that scent, which is a pretty cool thing because at 125 bucks, you're not going to just burn these on any given Tuesday. Right. Uh, Additionally, scent is the longest lasting memory of sense of all our senses. Oh. Right. So everyone can, you know, you smell something that brings you back to your childhood, for example, or an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that. There's smells that just stick with us for such a long time and evoke such strong memories. So there's something really interesting about sort of um, uh, capitalizing on that, I guess. 
uh, and, and making a product that could otherwise be a, a, a very general commodity into something that's really special and expensive and long-lasting and makes it that people want to keep coming back to that company and sustaining it over the years and over the centuries. That's very interesting. So in, in, the, in sort of the, the pantheon of, of different senses, what I think you're saying is, you know, everyone goes to museums and thinks about, you know, kind of, you know, strong, powerful visual memories. Everyone has been to concerts. They remember certain concerts and certain songs really reach down deep and, and touch people. But when you think about the number of companies that um, cater to smell, right? Um you can't think of, I mean, other than a couple of candle makers and how many candle makers can the average person name? Very, very few. There really isn't that much out there. I mean, you could say food, but that really speaks to taste more than mm-hmm. smell, even though smell, of course, is a part of it. Right. Exactly. Uh, and it's a fascinating thing. Um, and what I think, not only are they trying to evoke that there were these specific events or things that you're supposed to remember or a story that goes along with it, but if you were to use these as sort of celebratory things for specific events as well, like that would actually help solidify that memory in addition. And something, by the way, this is a total aside, but something that I have found over the years, and I've done this with clients of mine, coaching clients, is that you can you can use environmental triggers to help you get into certain kind of work modes. So if, for example, you do creative work at a specific sort of time and you want to help yourself get into that creative mode, one of the things that you can do is you can have a certain kind of lighting that you use when you're doing creative work. And it doesn't have to be like a color per se. It could be, but it could be just, you know, a dimness or some sort of light setting in the room, maybe a candle. But you can actually even use specific like smells like essential oils or candles. So (laughs) this is getting a little bit deep into neuroscience, but do you know why uh, the sound of running water oftentimes makes people feel like they have to go to the bathroom? I could hazard a guess, but it would be just a wild guess. Go ahead. Um, it reminds you of liquid, and when you think about liquid, um, you think about um, you know what you have recently consumed, and then from there, you start thinking about where that liquid has gone, and then you say, excuse me for a moment, I'll be right back. Okay, so slightly overly complicated, actually. Okay. It's, it's simpler than that. It's a lot more Pavlovian. When you urinate in a toilet what's the sound you hear <laughs> well it depends if you well, i'm not gonna <laughs> right. get into specifics but yeah. whether you have a strong stream or not <laughs> yeah. um, what you hear the sound of running water right so it's bevolvian right that sound signifies to us it's like bathroom time right so in the same way you can actually use certain smells environmental triggers uh music even specific things to then trigger yourself into those work modes you know, one of the things that we always have to deal with nowadays with so many things happening so quickly and access to information all the time is that we're, we're context switching is what it's called. And, you know, like we're recording this podcast right now. And then immediately after the podcast, you have a Zoom call and I have to go have a meeting with somebody, right? Like, how do you switch modes so quickly? A lot of people kind of just do it, but our brain lags and has to catch up. If you use these environmental triggers, you actually can shortcut that a little bit. So you could literally have a Sirtridon candle that you just use when you are writing creative copy, right? And another one that you use when you're dealing with emails. And those, if you just use those when you are doing those activities, eventually you will be able to use those to trick your brain into that mode. 
Well, that is fascinating. And when you think about the role that candles have played in the church, right? One of the things I always tell people is um, that the church really was the first metaverse, right? Because you want to go into a, a place that is different from your normal everyday life. You want to be elevated and you want to use different language. Maybe you want to behave differently. And in order to do that, you obviously need to be surrounded by an environment that is special. In, in the case of churches, it wants you to feel closer to God. And candles have been an incredibly important way in which that feeling is ultimately conveyed. So, you know, when we think about the role of candles, and when other entrepreneurs think about the role of their products, having those products be deeply embedded in a system that elevates and changes your vantage point changes your perspective, makes you the best version of yourself, that to me feels like a very, very good long-lasting business, which makes me think about another uh, analogy that I would offer. Um, when you go into an Apple store, you immediately feel different, or at least I do, right? Sure. They're practically a temple to innovation, technology, and, divine, and, and design. Yes, when I was thinking about and reading uh, about Chirtrudon and um, sort of reading their own description as to how they describe their product, one of the most important points they make on their website is the handcrafted glass container, which are beautiful mm. and evoke the feeling of the specialness of this particular product. And... Um, you know, I'm sure they could have chosen to use uh, a lesser quality container all those years ago. And, you know, it's easy to make glass now, probably wasn't in the 1650s. But they did that anyway. And so I'm wondering if there is, in your view, any credence to the idea that the Cheer Trudon candle, very, very expensive, incredibly well-designed, careful focusing on packaging could be likened to maybe the iPhone of the 1650s. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, actually, I'm sure you know that story about, about or the stories about uh, Steve Jobs like focusing for months on the box. Yes. Yeah. 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 And painting the inside of the computer with nobody was going to see. Correct. The, yes, exactly. Or so the, or the fence with his dad or something like that. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, right? So somebody sees, because I've seen, I've I've purchased a few Sierra Trudon candles for my wife and for other gifts for people. Uh, and there's, I don't know if all of them are like this, but there's some that are a black glass. That's really, it's beautiful. And most people, including myself, would see that and not necessarily think about like what went into making that. They just know that they like it and it feels different, right? And it's more solid or whatever it is. Uh, and I think that a lot of the Apple stuff is like that, where unless you know the story about the box, you kind of like you open the box, it's like, oh, it's sliding. You know, it's like it's, it's an experience. It's an experience yeah. is what it is. Because on the face of it, it's absurd that anybody would buy a $1,000 phone to replace the phone that they paid a thousand dollars for 12 months ago because it's two millimeters larger, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, right. it's kind of ridiculous. However, it's that experience of it. And 
uh, I, I mean, that's the thing is creating that experience. I think is such a big thing. Uh, and what you were just making me think of also is that as it can apply to more modern companies, you think about like the value creation chain, right? So we look at raw materials a lot of times and they have a value. So wax is a good example. Uh, another one is raw coffee beans. Okay. So raw coffee beans are pretty cheap. They're not really worth anything. Honestly, they're pennies if that, but if you roast them now, they're worth a lot more, right? And if you grind them, maybe they're worth a lot more. And if you grind them and serve an espresso to somebody, it's probably worth, you know, if you think about the amount of weight of the espresso, right? It's probably worth a hundred times more than the raw beans were of that same weight. And if you serve it in a Lalique cup in a four star Michelin or a Michelin star restaurant, now it's, you know, thousands of times more than the original one, but it's really the same material. So same thing with the wax, right? This is beeswax, right? And you could certainly make money selling beeswax, or you could turn it into a nicer beeswax, or you could turn it into a candle, or you can turn it into a Trudeau. It's like, don't call it a candle. It's a Trudeau. <laughs> it is a transcendent experience from the abdominal segments of worker bees comes a wax-producing substance that ultimately enables you to get closer to God, to feel transcendence, to feel intimacy. Oh, wait, are feel, you reading that? Or are you saying that? It's a little bit of both. Oh, wow. To feel okay. spirituality. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> but, that, but that's really what it is, and that's what the iPhone does too. Right. Okay. So now let's bring this home a little bit, right? How can, how can modern companies bring this in? So, so one of the things that I feel about this is that clearly there's this incredible, uh, not only commitment to craftsmanship and artisanal quality to it, but it's also making the story around that very clear, right? And, and it's not just the product itself. It's the experience of it. It's the narrative. And the narrative. Thank you. And anything... Just about any product, I would say, has a narrative. You know, cars are probably a good example of that. Most cars, there's a narrative around them. And the kind of car you drive probably says a lot about you to other people. The color of the car. You know, anytime I see somebody driving down the street, no matter, it doesn't matter what the car is, but if it's like the color of a Skittle, <laughs> right? You're going to have like some sort of something. You're going to be like, oh, come on. Or, or maybe you're like, oh, that's, that looks really cool. But Or a middle-aged guy driving a yellow Porsche. Sure. That's <laughs> going to evoke something, right? Yeah. Mockery. Right. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so we, the narrative that you put to the product that you sell or the service that you offer, I think, is really important. Very much. I mean, and, and in a luxury product, that narrative is not uh, a small factor. It is perhaps, in addition to the materials and craftsmanship, the largest factor or sure. one of the largest factors, I should say. Well, and then the uh, the thing about, you know, people are always trying to, well, not all, not everybody, but a lot of companies are always trying to make things cheaper, right? And that and that has a whole sort of effect down the chain, which don't get me wrong. I I'm, love shopping at Walmart and getting things cheaper, but for certain things, that doesn't necessarily make sense. And you, with your macroeconomic perspective on things, you remember what a Giffen good is, right? A Griffin? No, Giffen good. A Giffen good. Giffen, isn't it? Oh, gosh. A Veblen good. No, wait, well, what's... A Veblen good is a good where a lot of the value is predicated on the price of it, and the more expensive it is, the more desirable it is, because you want everybody to... You want to signal that that good is one that you could afford and others couldn't. So that's a Veblen good. So I don't know. I actually didn't know about that one, but I think it must be related. So a Giffen good 
is uh, one, it's it's a low-income, non-luxury product for which demand increases as the price increases. Because it's, so the, the, the first case of this was the Gillette disposable razor. When they initially offered it, and then maybe uh, getting the numbers a little bit wrong, when they initially offered it, it was something like a dollar a razor. And sales were terrible until they raised it to $5 per razor. And then sales took off. And the the understanding around a given good is that if something is too cheap, it is seen as low quality mm. and won't last. Mm. So the same good, more expensive, has a higher demand because it's seen as a more durable good. That is interesting. And nothing was changed about the good, just nothing, the price. Just the price. But the price is a signal for what people then assume about that has a major, major influence on purchasing decisions. Correct. Right. So for this candle, um, there is somebody who I want to give a gift to, uh, and I want that gift to have a certain level of heft because I appreciated something that they did for me. This candle at 125 bucks checks the box perfectly. If this candle were to go on sale one time only at nineteen ninety nine, I wouldn't buy it because I would think, oh, this does not convey the message I want to convey to this person. Correct. Exactly. Right. I think we should do a future episode about wine pricing, by the way, because I think there's a lot of insight to be had there. Yes, that would be great. All righty. Well, well so, what, so what do you think is one other lesson that a current modern business could take away from Sears Vidal? Um, well, um, uh, quite, quite a few, but one that I will just offer to you is <clears throat> much in the way that Four Seasons has a particular modus operandi of how customers are treated from the moment you walk in the door of one of their hotels and an attention to detail that all sort of serves the broader experience that they want to provide. I think if you're in a experience-oriented business or a business that relies on the customer interaction, which often occurs in person, like many products you can just buy online, I think the attention to detail, the commitment to quality, the process through which you select the right good um, is one where you can learn a lot from how Chier Trudon did this. Now, obviously, they sell most of their their works now uh, online. Um, however, um, I don't know if that online business would be as good were it not for the fact that they also have a bricks-and-mortar component that maybe serves more as a marketing end. But you know when you walk in and purchase a candle from Sierra Trudon, it's typically in a store, typically done by somebody who you know is going to pay attention to you. And it conveys this sense of import to this product. And if you have the ability to convey a sense of import to your product, that will ensure that nobody is just going to choose, you know, another product simply because maybe there's a little bit of a price cut, you know, vis-a-vis this one. People have a sense of loyalty to this because of what it conveys. Yeah. Well said. Well said. So that is the story on Sivre and... This was our first episode of Everlasting Business. So thanks for listening and tune in for the next episode. Yes, and I would say when we do our one-year anniversary, I I think um, we will have a Sierra Trudon candle lit to commemorate it.